welcome to the Customer Experience Management Podcast, hosted by Anders Gustafsson and Carlos Velasco. In this episode, Carlos interviews Professor Enrique Munar and Dr. Eric Chucky Chambi about aesthetic preferences. Welcome everyone to the Customer Experience Management Podcast. We are in season four. Uh, today I have two very special guests, um, people that I have had the chance to meet in the past months uh, a little bit more in detail, their research, and they have a lot of interesting experiences uh, in the context of aesthetic science. So what we're going to be talking about today is the topic of aesthetic preference and how does that happen, you know, uh, what are some of the research highlights that we can derive from, from that. And we're going to get deeper into a research article on preference for curvature. So the two guests that I have today are Enric Munar and Eric Gustavo Chukichambi. Uh, Enric Munar is a researcher and professor at the University of the Balearic Islands. He has been a visiting professor at the University of Vienna, Liverpool, and Toronto. So he's been moving quite a bit and you know, interacting with a lot of researchers. His field of expertise is perception and attention from a cognitive point of view. Um, the research group, Human Evolution and Cognition, especially works on empirical aesthetics and moral psychology. And he has anyway worked on other uh, topics and you know, research ideas in particularly related to cognition, uh, but mostly has focused on empirical aesthetics over the last years. Uh, in particular, preference based on low level visual properties, and a very interesting and characteristic uh, visual attribute curvature, which we will talk about later today. And Eric Gustavo, um, ha, he has a PhD in human cognition and evolution at the University of the Balearic Islands. He actually did his PhD with Enric. Um, he graduated in psychology and specialized in cognition and data science. And his research focuses on neurostatics, multisensory experiences, and social cognition. He has carried out uh, research stays at Liverpool, Hope University, the University of Padua, and BI Norwegian Business School as well, where he was visiting for a while working uh, with me and others uh, in the topic of uh, multisensory perception. Uh, these experiences, of course, have led him to publish uh, uh, several research articles and make several presentations in international conferences and institutions. So, uh, Enric and Eric, uh, welcome to the podcast. I'm very happy to have you here today. Thank you, Carlos. Welcome. Thank you, Carlos, for the introduction. Very happy to be part of this podcast episode. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, thank you both for joining. And well, let's start from the very, very beginning. You know, I have given a bit of an introduction of your research, but in your own words, what is your research and work about? Would you like to start, Enrique? <laughs> okay, I'm going to... Uh... Well, thank you, Carlos, for this kind of introduction uh, and inviting us to take part in this interesting podcast about customer experience uh, management. I would, I would like to congratulate you for being in the season four, I think. Uh, uh, that, it, it, that means that it is an attractive and successful podcast. My congratulations, Carlos. Thank you so much. Uh, in order to expand my bias, I'd like to say that my background in science is not very business or customer related. So I must admit that in some cases, I have serious problems in adopting that perspective because my perspective is more related to 
the cognitive study of our perception, especially from the laboratory. And at times adopting an evolutionary point of view as uh, our group uh, uh, has. A bit of, his, uh, of history of me is after a few years working in research, uh, in attention, especially and perception, and also in road uh, safety in the, in the year 2000, we created the human, the human Evolution and Cognition Group that we usually abbreviate as EVO-COG, Evolution, EVO, and COG Cognition. It was at that time the intersection of some researchers from the Department of Philosophy that worked on physical anthropology and some researchers from the Department of Psychology that we work on cognition, basically. Our first coordinator of the group, uh, an excellent anthropologist, Camilo Cela, now retired, advocated that the best way to define what makes a uh, human being human are basically some cognitive uh, traits beyond anatomical or genetic traits. In his opinion, these cognitive traits are basically three, language, moral, and aesthetics. For a few years, uh, we maintained three lines of research relating each of these cognitive traits to an evolutionary and cognitive uh, perspective. Finally, we focus on aesthetics and moral for two reasons. On the one hand, there are a lot of research and perspective on the study of language, and this was basically the reason we left the study of uh, language. On the other hand, the fields of empirical aesthetics and moral psychology were and are promising fields of study with uh, several interesting strands. Uh, from that moment, I was uh, oriented to know more about the emergence of what we called the aesthetic trait in the human evolution. This is my uh, extent of the, my bias. Sorry, it's, it, it's too long. No, that is perfect, and it's very interesting to to learn about the the the, the, the history, you know, of how the research uh, group uh, came to be, um, and also, you know, one of the the, the things I guess also why we're uh, looking for ways to collaborate is because, you know, the the all this research and empirical aesthetics that we will uh, get into what what it is about in a moment. Uh, has a lot of different things to say, not only for from a kind of like basic point of view on, you know, how is that our preferences form, what sort of things we consider beautiful, but also because it informs so many different applied contexts, right? Mm -hmm. It's like beauty and preference is something that is so important in our everyday lives. Uh, I would say in, you know, like the way in which we like the things around us, but also in the marketplace and many other contexts. So I'm really, really interested in learning about those insights uh, that you have, which I've been following quite uh, deep, uh, closely because they have a lot of things to inform about. So thank you so much for that uh, background, Enric. And now the word is to you, Eric. Uh, thank you. I completely agree with Enric, uh, Enric's points on the view. I was lucky to meet him and the Evoco group during uh, as a, as an undergraduate student. Then he became my PhD supervisor. And my research specifically focused on a field that he pointed out, which is empirical aesthetics. And uh, let's try to approach it to this field. I would say that we, from this field, we investigate how people's uh, subjective experience of beauty, 
pleasure, liking, wanting, uh, differ uh, across individuals, across cultures, and even across species, or, or any positive or negative hedonic experience we have in our daily life. So my research specifically focuses on that, uh, on this idea. And then we also currently are trying, are trying to understand the biological basis of these named uh, name aesthetic, aesthetic experiences in the literature. That is very, very interesting, uh, Eric, as well. And and yes, I think uh, the, the I mean I, I have some some little bit of a, a background information of the the projects that you have uh, looking into the future, and this idea of understanding the neural mechanisms, what is going on in the brain, you know, when uh, we are developing preferences and things like that is something that is quite interesting, and I'm really looking forward to hearing about that in the future. Well, so you have designed already empirical aesthetics, Eric, so I will not ask that question again. But there is a question that is that pertains to the the, the top the topic of today. And and uh, and I'm gonna kickstart the discussion with that one is humans appear broadly speaking to prefer certain features, attributes, or elements in their worlds. So what kind of things do people prefer and what drives this preference? This is a challenging question. <laughs> I think this is a challenging question from our field. But we uh, uh, researchers, we have, for example, some models in the literature that trying to uh, help us to uh, to know which features, which properties uh, help us to predict our preferences across individuals, across cultures, and even across species. As I said, these properties can be can range from low to mid and high level visual properties, and specifically. We, for example, investigate how the shape of objects is, is contour-type or it's uh, symmetrical or, or symmetry or different properties uh, affect people's preferences in a general sense, uh, whether we can predict general patterns of preference uh, depending on whether an object has a specific shape, a specific symmetrical or asymmetrical pattern, or has uh, different degrees, for example, of complexity or familiarity among other uh, properties. But at the same time, as well, as, as I said, uh, our research ranges from low to mid and high level visual properties. We consider how these properties, such as the ones I said, contour, uh, contour symmetry, complexity, interact with people's backgrounds or some personality traits or people's experience, previous experience, uh, because we know that uh, people's background influence can influence uh, general preferences in different ways. That is interesting. M maybe maybe one question to to clarify before I give the word to to Enrique uh, to expand as well. Uh, for our listeners that they might not necessarily be familiar with with what a low level feature, a mid level feature, and a high level feature are, what are these? How how would you approach them? Yeah, we can put some examples to help us to understand them. For example, low and mid mid-high level visual properties, mid, low and mid-level uh, visual properties could be, sometimes are, are mixed, depending on the studies you read, actually. They can range from, for example, orientation, contour, uh, symmetry, and then high-level visual properties are more related with, for example, familiarity, uh, novelty, I would say. But this, as I said, depends on the specific literature you read, but these are some examples. 
Right. So maybe to put that in the context of of, of customer experiences, I guess, and we have a, a very nice uh, little article on BA Business Review on the topic. Like we may see, for example, brands that have a logo or that have a specific typeface, or maybe they have the, the packaging of a product or a website. And all these visual elements can vary in terms of how angular or curved they are, how symmetrical or asymmetrical they are the level of complexity that they they involve. And these are kind of like some of those properties that you are mentioning that uh, can be studied from the perspective of uh, empirical aesthetics. So, Enric, you were going to, to say something. Sorry about that. Um, I agree with uh, uh, Eric said, uh, but I want to add uh, something about the, the, the question what drives uh, visual preference in general? We, we we speak about visual preference and other uh, preferences, sensory preferences. Uh, in in my opinion, it's necessary to differentiate two kinds of features, attributes, or elements. Uh, although they will be needs in real life, which will not allow us to distinguish the origins of preferences. But it's, for me, it's important. One are those uh, that are preferred because of cultural, contextual, experiential, and even ideological reasons. Uh, these are um, related to what uh, um, Eric said, high level. Those are uh, more learned or do not clearly depend on biological substrate or, or an evolutionary development. Hmm? This is that is very interesting. If I can give an example there, it comes to mind when you say that, like, uh, could it be, for for example, that people might prefer, let's say, in China, color red, because exactly. it represents, like, a political aspect to the country, maybe a cultural aspect to it. But then that might be different, let's say, in Europe, where red might mean something differently, right? Yes, in the experiments in Europe, in the Western uh civilization is preferred the blue one in in in, in most studies and it's interested in difference yeah yeah this this is the the, the level i was uh, talking about and the other one is where i like to work is the the other ones do depend on our evolution and our physiological framework which would would which would be what uh, Richard Lato in 1995 called aesthetic primitives. Uh, he explained that they are, uh, they are intrinsically interesting, even in the absence of narrative meaning, because they resonate with the mechanisms of the perceptual system processing. Hmm. And in, it is in this kind of habits we are working uh, on, Furthermore, in my opinion, uh, those elements were one of the key elements in the emergence of the aesthetic trait in the human evolution that I'm, I, I am very interested in. That I, I want to separate these those, those kinds because I think the approach to study them is a bit different. That is that is very very interesting. Uh, the, the the this division that you're making, and you know, it's uh, I can I can relate to it from a from from the business world as well. Because one of the things that we sometimes get the question from companies and stuff like that is, okay, if I want to signal something specifically across cultures, what should I use? 
you know, and of course there will always be like moderators and, you know, like specific kind of like uh, personality traits, you know, cultural traits and stuff like that, that might moderate preference. But what you're saying is, you know, there might be actually some cases in which all things equal humans, broadly speaking, might be tuned to preference for them because they might be signaling something more evolutionary oriented. Mm -hmm. So that is that is quite intriguing. And that's actually a, a very, very nice introduction to the research article that we're going to be talking about today. So the the article that we're going to talk talking we're going to be talking about today is, uh, is has been published by by both of them Enrique and Eric and uh, a series of other researchers in the context of empirical aesthetics, and it's called how universal is preference for visual curvature a systematic review and meta-analysis so in a way if i can give a little introduction to to the topic it's it is said in the literature you know that we tend to prefer round objects versus angular objects but then what they do in this article is quite interesting because they go and test this throughout studies so they look at all the studies you know that have been done in this field and related fields trying to test this preference and they try to spell out what are the mechanisms what is going on behind what moderates this preference so before we proceed to talk about the article maybe i should say that uh, you can go to the description of this uh, episode and i will post a link there not only the link to the article so that you can download if you can read it but also to the websites of both eric and Hendrik, so that you can you know see their other uh, research there are articles and potentially get in touch if you're interested so let's dive into this article what is the article about and perhaps be before what the article is about what was the motivation for doing this article? Well, I would say that uh, more than 200 years of literature, uh, if I remember correctly, Hogarth's 1753, The Line of Beauty, support that we, as you, as you said, we prefer uh, carbon lines more than angular or rectilinear lines. So given all this literature, um, several researchers propose that human preference for visual curvature could be universal and therefore possibly innate. That's why a part of our motivation on conducting this research. But then uh, recent studies also showed that uh, this effect, this preference is not fixed and invariant, but flexible because it could be modulated by factors ranging from contextual variables, individual differences, and even some psychiatric conditions. So in the literature, we lacked a systematic study that assessed the magnitude of this preference and that's why we conducted this study with the aim to ascertain how universal preference for curvature truly is that is very interesting and i think it's i mean you know i've read that article a few times already and i think it's 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 quite fascinating and it's probably something that we should do for many of, 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 of the research findings that we have, because you really dive deep and try to see what are all these other aspects that influence a specific effect. So, well, having that motivation in mind, what did you do in the article? What happened? What were the findings? Uh, okay, um, so we, as you said, we reviewed the literature on preference for curvature. And we found that this, the magnitude of this effect was moderate or medium. And this supports the existence of a reliable effect of curvature. That in general, broadly speaking, we prefer objects with curved contours more than angular or, or rectilinear contours. But then we also found that this effect coexisted with substantial between study heterogeneity or variability between the studies. I mean, heterogeneity 
means that uh, the, there are several differences in the methods or resources or approaches adopted by the studies in the literature, but these are not bad news after all, since, as we know, our subjective preferences are diverse in nature, so heterogeneity or variability should be welcome and addressed when we, for example, assess aesthetic experiences or visual preferences, such as the one we are uh, talking uh, about today. So specifically, we found that despite being a moderate uh, preference in the literature, the magnitude of this preference was moderated by four factors. Uh, for example, uh, one variable that we named task, which refers to the specific question you ask people when evaluating objects with angular or curved contours. For example, it's different whether you ask them to evaluate how much they like a specific object or how much they will be willing to pay for a specific object or whether uh, the degree of whether they will they will approach or avoid an object with a specific contour type, curved or angular. We also found that the, the stimulus type, the specific object uh, researchers use affected the magnitude of preference for the curvature. For example, it varied depending on whether the object was an abstract pattern, a real object, an image of a real object, uh, a building or a building or interior space, or whether it was a logotype or, or the use of, whether the uses different typefaces, for example. We also found that the presentation type of the stimulus of the object also moderated this effect in the sense that the effect changing changes depending on whether you present this, uh, this the object in a very short time or whether you present the object uh, in an unlimited time condition. And finally, we also found that people's expertise, in the sense the experience they have in a specific field, also moderates the effect, in the sense that those with higher experience in a specific field, for example, architecture, business marketing, or design, show it a distinct pattern or a different uh, preference for objects with carbon or angular contours. In general, they tended to prefer less carbon objects uh, than the than uh, people without experience in these fields that is fascinating and, uh, and and i like how how you basically just yeah quantify you know the level of influence and how that moderates in a way the the, the size of the effect how big is this difference in preference as a function of of, of different uh, uh, you know elements that that might be in the studies, uh, as you said, and, and, I, and I could imagine that if you're in the context of marketing, for example, and you have products with different shapes, then the effect is of a specific magnitude compared to when, for example, you're presenting abstract patterns of shapes and asking people about preference. Uh, Maybe this is a question well, for both for both of you, but I would I, I would be very curious to 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 hear what uh, Enrique would have to say about this one. But it's like, why why do we prefer things that are curved? And and I know that this is a complex question, and, and probably I'm just getting into a, a contentious terrain, you know, where there are many opinions and and many many theories and ideas. But but broadly speaking, you know, what 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 would you say about that? Uh, the question is very difficult because I, I think we are not uh, mature enough to know uh, to to answer quite well this this question uh, because we've been working on this preference more than ten years and we we first we try to see uh, our hypothesis is that the this kind of preference is quite old old in the evolution for example one of the our first studies was 
with uh, great tapes in Leipzig uh, uh, with with some colleagues, and we found uh, preference for curvature in chimpanzees and gorillas uh, too. And uh, other other investigation now uh, found also in orangutans and bonobos, I think that, and in other animals. That first of all, we think it's quite old. We also another study is about. Uh, so, so a small scale societies in Mexico and Ghana, and we found there also the effect. Then we think that is quite old in the evolution, and uh, this and probably is uh, related to some kind of functioning in our uh, mechanism of visual processing. This is our hypothesis, but it's interesting that the 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 hypothesis. Uh, well known or more famous, but in my opinion, wrong, is that it comes from the uh, the threat of the sharp angled countries. Mm? This hypothesis comes from comes from others, but it's basically exposed bar uh, for bar and Nita's article in two thousand and six, and very well exposed. And I think they have. Uh, the data are quite good, but after that, uh, other studies um, between uh, there are some from from the people uh, with the laboratory of Marco Bertamini. They found that it, it depends more the tendency to the curve that the, that the avoidance to the chart. Mm -hmm. That is uh, here. There are, there are some strategies, experimental strategies. To, to show this, also in our in the in the study of the um, great dissertation of Eric, uh, we also found data that showed that it was more important. Uh, the relation was uh, an implicit task. Uh, we don't ask directly if you like or not like. It's, it's a bit more complicated, uh, and we. Uh, interestingly, or unsurprisingly, found that uh, people don't have aversion to chart. People have uh, a tendency, a preference for curve. For this reason, this I think is related to to the nature. Most of things in the nature are curved. Very few thing, things are chart. This is more related to a natural thing that related with, we say, the threatening hypothesis. What? Baranetasis, and I think it's not. But for me, it's very interesting and surprising that most of the start, most of the papers refers to this hypothesis. When this hypothesis, there is no data, enough data to support this. That is very interesting. So, in one way or another, like in this study, uh, what they were showing or what they were claiming was that because when things are pointy, you can get harmed by them potentially, you might just avoid mm -hmm. them. But what you're saying is, in general, the studies are actually showing evidence against this. So it's not that people are actually rejecting angular objects or or, or kind of like not not having the motivation to approach them, but but it's more on the curvature side. So it's like people actually do prefer curvature and feel more 
leaning toward toward curvature and it might be more like a rooted something rooted in our visual perception system that might be tuned to curvature in that case and once again i know that you're going to be working on the neural mechanisms of curvature preference in the future so already looking forward to hearing uh, about some of the, the findings that your future research uh, will show. Potentially, maybe we do another podcast uh, when we have some of the results. Um, okay, so let's say moving kind of like a little bit away from these fundamental questions, you know, on, on preference and going a little bit toward the, the, the applied side. Um, one of the questions that I would like to ask you is, so if we think about customer experiences, you know, where people are exposed to a variety of different objects that might be curved, angular, symmetrical, asymmetrical. Uh, so what would be kind of like some practical implications that may derive from this research when it comes, I mean, perhaps not only to customer experience management, but I, or perhaps not specifically to products, let's say, or, or, or packages or websites, but also perhaps to our context, you have mentioned Eric, for example, architecture, uh, which is kind of like a, a topic that comes up uh, relatively often in the in the empirical aesthetics literature. So, what are some practical findings that we may derive from this research? This is an interesting and challenging question because, uh, as we said, we investigate beauty and we experience beauty daily. Just walking down in the street any day, we can experience beauty, meeting an attractive person, interacting with pleasant objects, contemplating buildings or enjoying a meal so i would say uh, in a general sense that uh, a, a general message from uh, the aesthetics empirical aesthetics field is that beauty generates pleasure in the brain and in a similar way uh, we can we can propose that uh, any consumer or customer experience likely generates pleasure on detail for this experience in, in the brain so uh, given this this relationship, business, as you said, businesses and marketing and these applied fields are increasingly interesting in investigating how aesthetic features, such as the ones we talk about, curvature, symmetry, complexity, affect or influence product design, advertising, marketing, packaging, interior design, architecture, urban planning, among other uh, related fields or applied domains. So as we proposed before, in general, we associate curvature and symmetry with positive experiences and beauty. And these preferences uh, are not only, do not only emerge when we ask people what they like, but they also emerge when we ask people to respond to the willingness they would uh, purchase an object with a specific design or how much they would pay for an object with a specific design for an object with uh, specific features. So, in the same line, uh, these preferences in general go beyond the visual domain. For example, we know that we associate curvature and symmetry as well with sweet tastes, for, such as honey or chocolate. So, these kinds of experiences uh, are relevant for research in consumer experiences or customer experiences, since they touch on our everyday experiences and how we interact with, uh, how we experience uh, products daily. Uh, so, these are only some examples of how we can use aesthetics or some aesthetics features to make the design of products more appealing or to try to create uh, a more profound or lasting experience on people. But of course, there are beyond curvature or symmetry, for example, there are other, other properties or features that 
influence our preferences, for example, colors, textures, uh, familiarity, or the novelty of a, of a logotype, for example. So in general, together, these, these different factors tell us that bringing aesthetics or try to give uh, people from more applied fields some guidelines on how to use aesthetics in their in the design of their own their task to improve to enhance customer experiences it's not an easy task and needs to be uh, done considering the specific target groups and the contextual elements we have for example uh, despite we said that in general we prefer objects with curved and symmetrical uh, designs we also know that these uh, preferences vary substantially from person to person and from context to context right so this shows that uh, customer choices are complex and dynamic as well as our preferences. So we have to consider both of these things when trying to uh, to implement or to uh, or to apply our findings on the on more applied domains. That is a, a, a very, very thoughtful reflection on the implications of, of uh, this research on, on customer experiences and beyond. Thank you so much for that, Eric, as well. Um, yeah, I think, you know, maybe, maybe just to say something, one of one of the, the, the sort of like little dreams that I have is to try to bring closer empirical aesthetics with, uh, in particular, the context of customer experiences, because I think there is a very, very big opportunity, as you say, and not only understand to how these preferences form and develop and perhaps play out in, in a specific context, but also all these other elements that might moderate the preference, right? That, that, that might, you know, based on your review paper, uh, potentially give more specific informed decision or information for decision making for practitioners. So I think that's something that uh, looking into the future, I'm quite excited about. Okay, no, this has been a very, very uh, informative discussion so far. Uh, thank you so much both for, for all your insights. Uh, I have two, two final questions uh, for you. And I think the, one of them has been already partially answered by Eric, but I just wanted to see what you think, if there are any final thoughts. The first question is looking into the future, uh, what do you see in terms of the research? Uh, you know, what are some things that excite you about what is coming research-wise uh, in terms of the things that you will be doing? And the second question is, uh, one of the things that we try to finish always this this podcast with, with is a sort of like advice, you know? So if let's say if you had some people creating a company or designing a customer experience, uh, what would be an advice that you would tell them from the research? Uh -huh. An advice, but mm, there are there are quite a few studies that have related uh, this kind of a studies of preference curvature and applied questions, as uh, Eric uh, said. Uh, you you can go to this these studies are very interesting. I I have here a few, but there is no time to explain everyone. But it's it's interesting. But some of them are uh, link are linking with, uh, basic questions and applied questions, but others are only designed to apply uh, solutions to the to the to this kind of uh, customer and business field. Uh, for this reason, I uh, we have. We have a, a chapter in the Oxford Handbook of Empirical Aesthetics where we distinguish three types of applied studies according to their focus, all related with preference for curvature. One type is about item forms, 
but the other was about product packaging, logos, and shape of graphics on the package. And the third one was about general setting, uh, like uh, buildings, airports, uh, kinds of things. Uh, I'm not going to explain in detail, but this is uh, an interesting uh, classification, this uh, uh, an approach to the to the all how can we use this kind of studies to uh, in the in the applied field on the other hand to the other uh, question you you make uh, about an advice the first thing i would tell uh, them is that not everything is related to whether we we like the brand or not there are other feelings beyond but these people know but i am going to to to, to spoke so there are other feelings beyond liking, that is attractiveness, friendliness, convenience, usefulness, and others, that sometimes this difference is very important to analyze what you want. However, the first impressions of the brand name, logo, the, the brand image, uh, the appearance of the product, and maybe other items related to the brand, uh, this first impression have relevance on subsequent consumer behavior had great relevance in this subsequent consumer behavior and these impressions often are based in uh, simple perceptual attributes you can't imagine sometimes the importance of these attributes that we are working on uh, that it is necessary to know to examine and to evaluate them in order to know and evaluate these attributes it is best to follow the methods commonly used in the study of empirical aesthetics in the applied uh, field with well-defined objectives, rigorously applied experimental procedures uh, based on the objectives, data analysis taking into account the variability of the participants, and with discussion and conclusion adjusted to the results and previous knowledge. That is the scientific method applied from a psychological point of view. This is my advice. That is very nice. And I really like the, the, the considering the individual variability between the participants, which in, in, let's say, in marketing, we would call the target group. And the target group could have varying levels of preference or varying level of X, you know, a variable that it's of interest, assuming a, a, a set of objectives. And 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 Eric Eric was also mentioning when when he was here, uh, in in the article that we wrote for BA Business Review, like not there is not a one fit all solution. So therefore, this variability considered in the context of rigorous experimental research might be helping you know also to see how different groups of people might be related, perhaps in a different way with some specific variables that mediate or moderate the relationship. So thank you so much for that, Enrique. And Eric, is there anything that you would like to add to these two questions? Yes, of course. I, I agree with Enrique's points, points because uh, aesthetics is not only about making things look more appealing, but making them in the right context, considered context and considered people's differences, individual differences in that sense. So. This would be uh, a, a follow-up advice, I would say, in that uh, following Hendrik's uh, Hendrik's proposal, and then regarding the future directions so of what are we currently planning for our uh, for the next year, for example, as you as you pointed out, we are interested in the biological and neural basis of 
pixel preferences, such as preference for curvature or preference for symmetry, and we're currently working with other institutions on that, on that, on these objectives. But of course, these objectives are quite challenging because how visual perception moves to aesthetic judgments in our brain is largely, largely unexplored or unknown. So we are uh, giving our first steps on this, uh, on this relationship. Uh, and then another future direction that I would say we are interested in to bring closer or to uh, establish a more uh, a more a more robust relationship between basic psychology research on basic psychology or basic visual preference to more applied domains. For example, here at our university, University of Balearic Islands, we are more we are more focused on basic visual preferences or basic coming from basic psychology. And in your institution, at your institution, VI, uh, you work on more applied domains and. We have, I think, we have learned uh, a lot, a lot from your own research, and this collaboration uh, produced a lot of interesting, uh, relevant results. And we are currently working on new projects. So I think these two future lines of research will uh, uh, likely, or likely, will help us to uh, find a new, uh, new projects. And, and of course, for, as you said, maybe do a next uh, podcast on this, based on our findings and these studies. Most definitely. And thank you so much, Eric, for that, too. You know, it's like, I think that's kind of a, uh, uh, in my opinion, like dreamed approach to research, everything from basic understanding all the way to how it expresses in applied contexts. So very much looking forward to that and also looking very much looking forward to our own collaborations that uh, potentially we will be talking about in the future as well. Okay, with that, we have uh, reached the end of the podcast. Uh, Enric and Eric, I'm uh, very happy to have had you here. Thank you again so much for, for the time and also for, for all the insights. I'm sure the, the listeners are going to appreciate them uh, quite a lot. So once again, for everyone, please look at the bio and the description of the podcast. I will be posting some of the articles that they're working on, including the, the meta-analysis, as well as their contact details in case you want to get in touch or have further questions. So thank you very much, Henrik and Eric. Thank you so much, Carlos. Thank you very much, Carlos.